Amen. Good morning, Neighbors Church. It's so exciting to be here. I'm like, uh, I feel like I'm a Neighbors Church stalker, even though I haven't been here before. <laughs> uh, I, I really love you guys. And um, anyway, my name is Tanika Wyatt. My husband and I are here. Jason, our daughter, Jordan. Uh, we're marriage and family pastors at Park Hill Church. And so... Um, it's so wonderful to to see familiar faces and to meet new people. Uh, we love your pastors, uh, Dan and Alexis. I remember um, when Neighbors was just an embryo and uh, Dan and Alexis were like pregnant parents wondering, what, what are we going to name her? Is she going to look like a Jessica? Is she going to look like a, a Thomasina, a Shaquanda? What, what is she going to look like? We don't know. Do we give her the family name? And I remember um, Dan, I guess, as they were serving their local community and the people on their street, it was like God just planted, you know, he just gave them that name. Like, oh, she's, she's going to be neighbors. We're, we're going to call her neighbors. And so... Um, we're so glad to be here with you all, our sister, and um, yeah, just be here with the family of God. So this is beautiful. Um, over at Park Hill, we have been praying through the Psalms, um, and, and in a very familiar way, we've been talking about prayer. And God is doing some really great things and expanding our prayer culture um, and teaching us how to commune with him. I know if you guys are picking up Lectio Divina books that, you know, journals, you guys are, you, I feel like you're already there if that's what you're doing. But God is giving us, um, he's expanding our prayer culture so that we're not just coming to him with a list of requests, but we are, we are learning to lament. We are learning to praise. We are learning to listen, to hear the voice of God and to wait on him. And, um, yeah. And I just want to thank you, Shua, for praying and for the intro, but I just want to add just a little bit and say, Father, we thank you so much for being present with us. We thank you for um, the opportunity, the invitation to come to you in prayer. And I pray, God, that you would just pour out on us, that you would speak to us, that we would hear you, and that you would change us. Amen. Um, so Ashley read our key scripture text this morning, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. And um, the uh, chapter 11 in Luke actually starts off with Jesus being in a certain place praying and his disciples observing him. It's, isn't it interesting how they're always watching Jesus pray? Like they're not even that one time that he was like, can you just like pray with me for an hour? And they, he, came, he came back and they're sleeping. Um, so they were observing Jesus pray. They knew that he was a man of prayer. And so in Luke chapter 11, they actually asked him, teach us, Lord, teach us to pray. And I believe that it was the Spirit of God that moved on them to ask this question. They saw things in Jesus that, that they desired. They saw his greatness and they wanted to be like him. Um, and so they saw his compassion, his authority. They saw his discipline, his strength, and his love for people. And they wanted more of that. And so because they spent so, so much time with Jesus, they realized that 
um, that the life that he lived flowed from his prayer life. It flowed from his submission to the Father. So they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus responds with what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And if we go through the Lord's Prayer, especially as as it is recorded in Luke chapter 11, right out the gate, the first thing Jesus says, or he, the first thing he does is he recognizes the Father. Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come, your will be done in the earth just as it is in heaven. And that is a recognition that God is holy. He is good. His ways are better than ours. His plans are better than ours. He is the sovereign Lord who knows what he's doing. So God, whatever you're doing up there, let it be done down here. Whatever your thoughts and your plans are for me up there, God, let it manifest for me down here. That's what Jesus started this prayer off with. Have your way in me. And he goes on to pray for provision, forgiveness of sins, and help us to forgive others. He prays for boundaries. And I know you may not see it like that, but um, I have a habit of going in the wrong direction when I'm on my own. I have a habit of maybe hooking up with the wrong kinds of people or making bad decisions when I'm left to my own devices um, and in my own limited thinking and knowledge. But when he says, Father, don't lead me into temptation, he's saying instead, God, lead me beside still waters. Lead me into green pastures. Create boundaries for me because I don't know what I'm doing. Father, lead me. And this is according to Psalms 23. We know that the Psalms were Jesus's prayer book, his hymn book. And so he's saying, lead us not into temptation. This is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Father, order my steps and deliver me from the evil one. This is Jesus teaching us to pray. And then he goes further into where our text was this morning. Um, Jesus gives his disciples a story of friends. One friend is in need of something um, and the other one is asleep. Rightfully so, it's in the middle of the night. And so Jesus uses this story to teach us that it's not just okay, but it is good and it is necessary for us to be relentless in prayer. To do as Jesus said, keep knocking long enough and have shameless persistence. Jesus is teaching us to ask to seek, to knock in prayer and to watch God answer us. Luke chapter 11, um, the, the last part of that, verses 11 through 13 say, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. 
So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all of you. I, use, I just say happy Father's Day to everybody because today's Father's Day. I want you to have a good one, whether you're father or not. But happy Father's Day to everybody. Um, and so hopefully you have someone who's worthy to celebrate, right? Um, but I understand for many people, this can bring up, today can bring up some hurt. It can bring up grief over maybe the loss of a father, or it can bring up the pain of having an absentee father or strained relationships. Um, we know very well what Jesus is talking about when he talks about, um, when he compares earthly fathers to our heavenly father. He says, even sinful, wicked fathers know how to give good gifts. Even if you have a strained relationship, even if your father is not present, we as people, even as wicked, sinful parents, we know how to give good gifts. So how much more our heavenly father, when we ask him, he gives good gifts. He gives good gifts. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? I love that. He, he's already given his best. Won't he also give us everything else? Jesus is inviting us into a life of prayer where we daily seek God for everything we need, where we honor him as father where we allow him to lead us and to change us into his image and likeness. Those things happen through prayer. Earlier, the, earlier this year, I was in a really busy, stressful season. And I still have those moments, but a few months ago, the weight of my obligations uh, was really heavy. And Anybody who's into Enneagram, I'm an eight. I don't know if that means anything to you. <laughs> um, so I don't know if it was my eightness or how I was raised or a combination of things, but I don't typically give myself over to stress, you know? Um, I feel like I should be able to function at a high capacity. I can do a lot of things and... Um, you know, I expect to be able to do all of those things and just remain unbothered because, you know, I'm good like that. I just, I can do that. Um, <laughs> but working full-time and being a full-time student and still trying, still working in, uh, functioning in ministry, still trying to love my family well and make room for friends, it just became a bit overwhelming. And but I kept saying to myself, if I could just get through this project at work, if I could just get through this term with three classes, um, if I could just get on the other side of this, everything is going to be so much better and I will be okay. And I wasn't stressed out, though. At least, at least I didn't admit that to anybody. Um, and it wasn't until stress actually manifested in my body that I had to deal with it. I had hives on my hands. I had 
uh, this vocal tension happening. And so all of a sudden I had to pay attention. And I felt God using that to invite me and to call me into a deeper level of prayer and consistency with him. Because with so many things on my plate, there were days my prayer and devotion were sporadic, very short, or non-existent. And I know for some of you professional Christians out there, you cannot fathom going a day without being on your knees and crying out to the Father. But I have had those days. And he knew how I was feeling that I just wanted to just toughen up and get through it. And one day I heard him say, don't just get through it. Invite me in it and watch me work on your behalf. Come and fellowship with me. Come and dine with me. Come and spend time with me. I have rivers of living water flowing that you need to tap into. And although my spirit leaped at this beautiful invitation, I felt a little anxious because I already didn't have time. I already wasn't getting enough sleep. I can't add one more item to my to-do list. And it wasn't like I wasn't praying at all. You know, it wasn't like I wasn't reading my Bible at all. I was still going to church, still worshiping, still serving, still enjoying the body of Christ. But the reality was that my day-to-day priorities had shifted. I wasn't crying out to God like David did in the Psalms, Psalm 61, when he says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the towering rock of safety, for you are my safe refuge. I didn't do that. Instead, I just stayed overwhelmed and attempted to get by on my own strength. When time with God was what I desperately needed. So after that invitation, I accepted. I heard God's voice and I accepted. And I I understood that daily devotion was non-negotiable. And not just, you know, you know, you don't. You know what we do. Not just the, okay, I did it, boom, I'm off to the races. Not just that, but but really digging in deep. I, I'm not, and I'm not here to get you caught up in any condemnation on what your rhythm is or is not. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I had to understand, I had lost my regular everyday meeting time that my heart longed for. And so I just wanted to remind you, I'm just here to remind you like God did for me, that he is inviting each of us closer to commune with him. He has everything you need, and he is a father who gives good gifts to his children. Earlier, Jesus told us to knock. And in Revelation 3, verse 20 He is the one actually knocking. He says, I stand at the door knocking. Listen to me. Open the door and I will come in. We will share a meal together as friends. So I learned amidst my busyness 
to find alone time with God. I learned to invite him into my day, my work, my relationships, my recreation, whatever was on my agenda. I needed his peace. I needed to walk in a surety that he is with me, that he's not leaving me, and that everything is well, that shalom. I needed to know I was surrounded by his love and that I was accepted and close to his heart. I needed his joy, the excitement of knowing that he has my present and my future in his hands and he has great plans for me. I needed to tap into that knowledge of who I am and who he is every single day uninterrupted, just to make it to the end of the day and still have grace enough to give away. That's what prayer was for me. That's what prayer is for me, that daily meeting time alone with God. And this is something God was teaching me, to be desperate for him again. We're desperate, but oftentimes we don't know that we're desperate for him. That relentless prayer he taught us and his disciples to pray. In every season, stay close. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Also, what I didn't realize that God was doing is he was preparing my heart to receive a miracle. At, at uh, Park Hill Church, we uh, were in a week of prayer and fasting leading up to Easter Sunday. And so by this time, I had gotten back into my rhythm and I was enjoying my meeting, my uh, everyday meetings with God. And I had been feeling his presence and watching him show up for me in ways that might have been insignificant to others, but were huge for me. And so I was ready. I was so excited about this time of prayer and fasting to not only pray at home, but then to go and meet with my brothers and sisters on a nightly basis and intercede for one another, for our city and for our world. And so I started off the week with this feeling of, God, I don't want to just meet you in a powerful way, only to leave this revival and be the same. Because If you're like me and you've been around church, been in the church for so many years, there's been revivals. There's been, you know, I want to say I'm kind of old school, but that sounds like, I feel like old people say that. I guess I'm an old person. Um, Where's my friend Hank at? Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm from an old school Pentecostal way. I guess I'll say it that way. And so I'm used to 30-day tent revivals. Like, this is the jam right here. We'd be here every day, you know, um, pregnant at all. I remember 30 days. They were like, you coming back? I was like, yeah, I'm coming back. I'll be here tomorrow. Um, And so I remember... God using those times and, and it being wonderful and, and, and he taking, you know, us to levels and levels. And, but I also remember times of revival where I left and like it was great at the time. And then I left and somehow I fell back into the same funk. It was 
I went right back into whatever it was that I left behind. And I didn't want that. I was like, God, I don't want to be in your presence this time. I don't want to meet you in a powerful way only to return to what I left behind. Whatever you're, you're doing, God, I, I, want, I want more of it. I, I want it to last. God, I want you to change me. I don't want to come and leave the same way that I came. I want you to change me. I want my life to be transformed. And so God in his wonderful way, as I ask for transformation, he began to show me my sins. And I was like, I just wanted to like be all in love with you. I didn't want you to show me all of my messy stuff. But he was like, if I'm going to transform you, I need you to know what you have to change. And so he showed me my sin against the backdrop of his goodness. He said to me, I have lavished you with love and mercy, but you withhold it from others. You don't deserve it, but I give it to you freely. How dare you hoard what I have generously offered? And so... A little bit about my story, if you, you know, have heard me share before, I may have talked about my family and upbringing. And so I have struggled my whole life with my relationship with my parents. I felt neglect and abandonment. And I am the one on a day like today who wonders, do I buy him a card? Should I call my dad? We barely have a relationship. How long is this conversation going to be? What are we going to talk about? Um, you know, and so my heart had been broken for years over my relationship with my mother and father. And I, I tried my best to be kind and to be a good daughter, but I, I failed miserably over and over again. I kept them at a distance that was safe for me. And I justified why they didn't deserve my love. I resolved within myself that I will be healed one day, just not today. It'll probably be in heaven. I'll be healed in heaven where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. But God was standing by saying, I am a good father and I give good gifts. I gave my own son for you. Don't you know I am willing to give you everything else? As it is in heaven, let it be on the earth. I was waiting for heaven, but God is saying, as it is in heaven, let it be on the earth. Whatever you're waiting for, whatever your picture of heavenly places is, I challenge you to pray as Jesus taught us. Let your kingdom come. Lord, as it is in heaven, let it be on the earth. So in that week of prayer and fasting, God showed me my sin. He healed my heart. And he gave me capacity to love because I had been loved. He gave me capacity to give mercy because I had received mercy. To extend grace because it had been generously poured out on me. That was in prayer. Prayer is intimacy with God that puts on overalls and goes to work in your life. It changes you. 
It wasn't getting past the trial. It was inviting the Spirit into it. It was seeking God daily that made way for the true transformation and miracle that I needed in my life, in my heart. That's what prayer does. That's what spending time with God does. He works on you. He changes you. He compels you. He speaks to you. He makes you look like him. He gives you dreams and visions for a new life and new day and for more. And he makes you thirsty for him. That's what prayer does. I want to go to Luke 18, another example of prayer that Jesus gave his disciples. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Now, God is not like the unjust judge who responds only because you have wearied him. Jesus is saying once again, if you can believe that a wicked judge who doesn't fear God, uh, fear God and disregards people will provide justice for this woman, what do you think your father will do when you cry out to him day and night? Before I knew anything about prayer, um, these prayer practices, listening prayer, Lectio Divina, imaginative prayer, all of these wonderful things that I learned a few years ago in Dan's living room, uh, that I've come to love and, 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 you know, they bless my life. But before I knew anything about those things, my prayer culture growing up was shaped by these words of Jesus, that instruction to persistently ask, seek, and knock. It was shaped by the examples of the early church of gathering together and waiting on God and shaped by the Psalms. That's what I knew about prayer. I grew up in a culture of crying out to God very much like David to avenge him of his enemies. And just like this widow in Luke 18, how long, O Lord, before you deliver us? How long must we suffer? Lord, we're crying out for justice, for mercy. I'm your child, but there are times that I don't feel you. I feel abandoned. I feel far from you. Lord, I'm looking for help, but I can't find you. Being able to honestly cry out to God for those things that you need. God, I need help. Where are you? 
I learned as a young believer that God is the safest place to take my grief. He wants to hear it all. He intimately knows us, yet he still invites us to be honest with him. We can trust him with our pain. He's not going to walk out on me because in my limited understanding, I'm angry with him. He invites us into authentic, real relationship where we don't have to hide our sorrows. Where we don't have to pretend everything is okay and it's not. You cannot weary God. You cannot overwhelm God. The wonderful thing about our Father is He already knows us, but He asks us to come to Him, commune with Him, fellowship with Him, share our hearts with Him, even when they are broken, day and night, in every season, with rejoicing, with singing, with laughter, with tears with mourning, in whatever state you're in, to go to God, to run to him. So what's the call of action today? The call to action. If you get nothing else from this message, I want you to understand three things. One, you have a father, a good father, who gives good gifts. God gives good gifts. Two, he wants you to persistently ask, seek, and knock. This means not running and hiding when things are difficult, not being so overwhelmed that you don't allow him to be Lord over your life and provide the peace the joy, the safety, the comfort you need. And staying there, staying there in his presence, allowing him to transform you. Three, pray as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. Let me reiterate, whatever you're longing for, Whatever your expectation is on the other side, whatever is beautiful and wonderful, what you've been waiting for in the heavenlies, pray whatever is going on in heaven, God, let it be done in the earth. Let it be done on the earth. God, let your kingdom, Jesus taught us, let your kingdom come, Lord, as it is in heaven, let it be done on the earth. This means being comforted, being cared for, provided for, healed, relationships reconciled, and seeing miracles even. We lose sight of who God is when we don't meet with him intimately in prayer. When we don't meditate on his word and experience his power, we forget that he is the Lord of heaven's armies and that there is nothing too hard for him, that he has all power in his hands, and that he is a God who works wondrous, mighty miracles. He shows up for his people. I'm going to invite you all to stand 
And I want you to close your eyes. Imagine that thing that you've been holding back from God. It could be a burden, a heavy weight. It could be something you've had difficulty trusting him with. And you haven't been able to let it go. Get that thing in your head. Maybe it's something wonderful. Something beautiful has happened. And because you've experienced so much grief, you won't allow yourself to be grateful and rejoice and just fall into his love. Whatever has stood between you and him, move it out the way. In fact, give it, give it to him. Throw it at him. Physically move your bodies and throw it at him. I want to see some arms moving, some bodies moving. Throw it at him. 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. I don't know if you've ever been fishing like my husband does often these days, but when they cast the line out, it's not a gentle, subtle movement. Cast your cares on him. He is here to lighten your load. He is compassionate, so we run to him. He provides unfailing love, so we cry out to him. He is merciful and just, so we weep aloud over injustice and we ask God for mercy. He is here to weep with you. He is here to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for your mourning, and the garment of praise for your heavy spirit. He is here to rejoice and celebrate with you the wonderful things that are happening in your life. Day and night and in every season, God is here. God is here.